You are now listening to Podcasting in Pinstripes, the official New York Yankee podcast of Gotham Sports Network. Welcome back to another episode of Podcasting in Pinstripes, the official New York Yankees podcast on the Gotham Sports Network. Like you do every week, you got Sam and Steve here for giving you another rundown of Yankees baseball. What's going on, Sam? First MLB team to 30 wins, Steve. Maybe not the best past week for the Yankees. Some injuries, 4-4 four and four since we last recorded, but things are far from terrible. Another week down, inching towards Memorial Day. First real benchmark of the season, and it's been 95, 90% good so far. That is a correct take. It's been the roughest week for the Yankees, I would say, in this short season so far. And like you said, it's, it's been 4-4 four and four since we last spoke. So they we haven't had a episode where they've been under 500. Yes, we kind of changed the days that we record sometimes to make it look nicer. But definitely the roughest stretch for the Yankees. They just finished off an 11-inning win versus the Baltimore Orioles on Tuesday night where their Mike King looked human for the first time all year, but they were able to come back. And an interesting series versus the Chicago White Sox, losing two of three, getting swept in a doubleheader, which is pretty hard to do. And then, you know, their first real losing streak of the year of three games in a row. Luckily did not make it four on Tuesday night, and it looked like they were going to for the second half of that game after a strong start by Jordan Montgomery. So a good team win, because when you're on a three-game losing streak, that, that's a game you lose pretty often, I feel like. And the Yankees had they've had their opportunities in extra innings, and they blew it. The Orioles had their opportunities uh, as well. But good, good strong win to end that losing streak. You lose three games in a row throughout the baseball season. It sometimes happens once a month. But limiting that and stopping that is really good. And it really did look like a loss tonight. Steve, Rugnet Odor has three massive hits against the Yankees this season. He had the hit that broke the game open on Easter. He had a big hit last week in the day game down in Baltimore. And he has a go-ahead three-run home run tonight. This guy has been a thorn in the Yankee side. Just awful. I, I hate seeing him. I loved him as a Yankee. He was far from the greatest, but he always had those awesome bat flips and bat tosses. So, so to see him be a thorn in the Yankee side is a bit disappointing, but really good bounce back. Clark Schmidt out of the bullpen for two innings. Major, major props. Wandy Peralta with a clean ninth inning and Clay Holmes just being Clay Holmes, virtually unhittable. The bullpen is something we're really going to get into on this episode with some very notable injuries. Araldis Chapman on the DL. Chad Green is out for the season. So when you're looking at areas on the Yankees, minus some bad offensive performances like you saw on Sunday in the doubleheader, the bullpen is really where you have to look in the last week in my eyes. Yeah, I agree. And that's something we can, we can roll right into that for to, to kick off the episode here. On our three-up list, we had obviously Clay Holmes up on that list because this guy has been unhittable to start the year we ended last episode saying maybe there is a closer situation a closer kind of conversation that might be happening and as it does in baseball it worked itself out not in the way that we would have liked it to but with a very bad outings from Araldis Chapman and then the magical injury pops up it's no surprise that Chapman has an injury here he didn't look great at all his past few starts and that's going to give Clay Holmes the next two weeks at least to be in that closer role. What I found really interesting actually on Tuesday's game, Sam, was that Clay Holmes came in in the eighth inning 
which was I thought was a great move by Aaron Boone because that is the important thing. We've been talking for a few years. It's not the inning that matters. It's the the situation and who's coming up at bat that really is the more important innings here. And Boone went with Clay Holmes in the eighth inning versus the Orioles here, the heart of their order, and he shut him down in 11 pitches. He also played a little bit for the future here to make sure he didn't push him to two innings. Very easily, he could have came out for the ninth inning and Wandy Peralta got the job done there for the Yankees here. But big, big move there to show that Clay Holmes is going to be the guy that has the most faith from the, the pitching staff for probably the remainder of the season at this point, but also that they're not afraid to use him in situations where it's most important. And I think that's huge. And I'm interested to see if that pops up again over the next two weeks here, or they're going to put him strictly as a closer role, which Chapman has, has been. You took the words right out of my mouth. That was really what I was going to say about Clay Holmes coming in in the eighth inning tonight. We never saw Boone do that with Chapman. Chapman has that mentality, the old school, I'm the closer, I pitched the ninth inning. And I don't think we have that with Clay Holmes. And I know we don't have that with Clay Holmes. So I think that's going to be an interesting point as as we move forward. And again, these last couple games of Clay Holmes, you saw him get four outs the other night. He's unhittable. This sinker with that tail at 97, 98 miles an hour, when he's controlling that, it's impossible to hit. Buster Olney had a tweet the other day. On Saturday, when he shut down the White Sox in the ninth inning, he said they legitimately did not have one pitch to hit when they went three <laughs> down. And there's a video on Twitter going viral in the last week of him airmailing balls to the backstop when he's in Pittsburgh. So the Yankees clearly saw something. We've said it a bunch of times. Brian Cashman, Matt Blake who I think deserves a lifetime contract to be pitching coach of the New York Yankees. And he's like that Swiss Army knife. He pitched the eighth inning tonight, and with Chapman's injury, which we're going to talk about him a little bit, Holmes is going to be the guy going forward, and he's the Yankees' best reliever. We're talking about Michael King having that title. A few we talked weeks. about Michael King for like three episodes about he was going to be the best reliever in baseball, and then lo and behold, Clay Holmes is the pitching right behind him doing even better. I mean, it's ridiculous at this point. 21 games, .4 ERA. The only time he's given up a run has been that first opening day versus uh, versus the Red Sox for his first game. Other than that, it is it is purely unhittable stuff. It, it is wild. You know, past 20 games, it, it, it's ridiculous. You know, uh, hitters are, are hitting under 150 versus him. His, his whip on the year is .66. He's got more strikeouts than innings pitched, and he's 4-for-4 four four in saves now. And that number's only going to go up the next few weeks. So it's going to be fun to watch. He's only 29 years old. He's under contract through the 2024 season and just looking like an absolute steal by Brian Cashman and first of the Pittsburgh Pirates. If you're the Pittsburgh Pirates here, these are the guys that you want and you you utilize and you play well, and then you sell for the biggest price possible. They sold way too short, way too soon, clearly, with Holmes, as they only got one player back and who's not really a major league player in, in park from the Yankees. And like you said, a ton of credit to Matt Blake here. He probably was never going to become this pitcher if he stayed in Pittsburgh, uh, which is basically MLB hell for pitchers here. But unbelievable stuff, and that's going to lead into uh, the, the bullpen in general. As you said here, we're talking about it. Clay Holmes moving to the ninth inning with Chapman gone, now with Green gone, with, with Tommy John here. This could be the end of Chad Green's career in the pinstripes. It could be, and it's really, really sad to see this. One of the Yankees beat writers, I think it was Eric Boland, tweeted the other day, that Chad Green's Yankees career, the end of it, it looks like now, is comparable to Dylan Batantis's. Oh, yeah. And Dylan Batantis. And Tommy Kaling. Yeah. Batantis was one of my favorite Yankees in the last decade. That 
98, 99 mile an hour fastball with the breaking ball dropping in, even though there were some nights he couldn't find the zone to save his life. But it's sad. Chad Green, he's had his ups and downs, but this is probably the end for him. He's going to likely sign a two-year deal with the team and, and rehab that first season and then, and then come back in 2024 at the end of the 2023 season. It, it's a tough, tough break. And I feel bad for him. No matter how bad his downs got, you always look back at that 2017 wildcard game when he came in for Luis Severino in the first inning and shut things down after things really, really went bad. All the best to Chad Green and his recovery. And this was something that went really quick. He, he pitched a couple days ago and then boom. That a day forearm day. tightness is, is the, worst, the worst thing here. And Sam, yeah, we got to talk about Chad Green's career in pinstripes here because I think you said a lot of the times you, you you forget about the goodness that was there and you always kind of remember the the big home runs or you know Chad Green's unreliable he's given up too many home runs but when you look at it as a whole Chad Green was an absolutely dominant relief pitcher in Major League Baseball from 2017 through him getting hurt this year if you go from the start of the 2017 season until now he was fifth in Fangraph's war among all relief pitchers in baseball. Josh Hader, Liam Hendricks, Kenley Jensen, Edwin Diaz, Chad Green. That's the list. That wow. Those are the four guys that Chad Green is associated with here. That is better than Araldis Chapman. That is that is better than Keg Krimble. That is better than Brad Hand, who had those couple good, good years here. That is elite pitching stuff. He had a 7.4 war over that time with the Yankees, which, which is just crazy to really think about, you know, how good he was and how maybe we didn't give him enough credit for his time here with the Yankees. He finishes in that time frame with, you know, he had a couple starts in 2016 as well, but from 2017 on, 244 games, 316 innings pitched. That's more than those, everybody that I just listed, those other guys that listed. So he's in the games more often than not. Not a closer, but he's still in huge high leverage situations, striking out guys, gave up a home run every year here and there, but you know, really goes to show how important Chad Green was. And while at the maybe on the early looking at it now, when we're talking about guys like Mike King and Clay Holmes, you, you Chad and you know Jonathan Wise coming into the season, you kind of forgot about Chad Green, but that leaves a big hole in this bullpen for the rest of this year. It does, and he gave up home runs sometimes, but relievers don't have it every night. And Green is a guy that when he had an off night, he got hit hard. As weird as it sounds, I prefer when relievers to have when they have off nights to get hit hard and not to walk two or three people and, and then start giving up hits. When he didn't have it, he started getting hit hard. There was never any control issues. He always kept his walks down. That was even the case this year. Only five walks in 15 innings pitched for a reliever. The numbers tell the story. The, the whip is so, so low. You know, a .88 whip last year, a .74 whip in 2017 – and only a hair above one in 2018. 2019, he had that rough end of the season. But Chad Green is going to go down as one of the best Yankees relievers in, in the last decade. And I, I wish him well in the, in the next step of his career. I hope his recovery goes smooth. Looking at the bullpen as a whole right now is a bit of a black hole. Michael King had a really good start. He's human. He's human. Talking Yanks posted this tonight after he given up the three-run homer to Odor in his last six games. Nine and two-thirds innings, eight earned runs, 
12 hits, 13 strikeouts to three walks. Uh, are all this Chapman's on the disabled list? I know his injury and his performance uh, was worrisome in the past couple of games, but that that's a bullpen arm you can't go to. So the Yankees are, are kind of getting thin in the bullpen right now. We saw Clark Schmidt with two beginnings tonight. Wandy Peralta, like I said before, had a strong ninth inning. Clay Holmes is what we have said about him this whole season. But the Yankees are going to need some guys to step up in the bullpen. When you really look at it, this is the first time we've talked about the bullpen maybe being a little bit of a question mark. Yeah, I mean, it's a top five bullpen in, in baseball. And I think it kind of stays like that even. That's how deep it is, that you could lose two guys like Chapman and Green, and it still stays that top five. You know, I think, like you said, the two guys you mentioned there are important. Wandy Peralta is not being used as much as he was last year when he first came over in the, in the trade with the Giants. And Clark Schmidt is a valuable weapon, and I'm interesting to see how do they how they utilize him moving forward. I think those guys kind of become your your five, six guys, five, six inning guys if needed. From If a starter doesn't go long, we're going to need Jonathan Lewis to step back in and be that guy that he was last year. He has not looked the same. He's got a, you know, an over seven ERA so far this year. You know, he's got 13 earned runs. I think he gave up 17 earned runs all of last year. So big difference here. The wise guy needs to step up. We've seen a lot of Miguel Castro. He's looked pretty good, but he also is starting to look a little shaky too. The bullpen has looked phenomenal, but they've used those guys pretty heavily. King, Loisga, Castro, they're, they're all gonna, starting to rack up the innings early. Only going to happen more. It's going to lead to more reliance on the pitching staff here, and we're going to have J.P. Sears pitching on Wednesday for the Yankees as a starter. So the, the bullpen is something we have to keep an eye on. Like you said, probably for the first time all season, it's something that could be a question mark, but they're, the Yankees are built for this. And I'm sure Brian Cashman is already on the phone trying to see who else could be available for another steal. So if you're the Pirates, just hang up on him immediately. <laughs> so we'll, we'll keep an eye on the bullpen. And the guy likely catching the bullpen and the hero of Tuesday night is the guy we need to talk about on the three-up list here. And that is Jose Trevino. Sam, and I think it's without a question here, our starting catcher, Jose Trevino. Some big, big hits on Tuesday. Three for four, walk-off single to end the game. The Yankees are starting to show some competency at the plate with the catching position, thanks to Trevino, because his average is getting up there. He's starting to hit the ball a lot better lately, and it's not like that automatic out at the bottom of the lineup anymore. You're already sacrificing a lot in the OPS department with Isaiah Conner-Falefa. And really, it's been a seven-man lineup this year for the most part. We've been talking about it. The Yankees sacrificing offense at the catcher and shortstop position for better defense. Trevino's up to 246 on the year. That is... Yeah, as a part-time catcher, you can move that up pretty quickly. But um, but I think important that even more than that is... The last 15 games when he's kind of taken over the starting role, especially the last week with Higgy going on the COVID IL for a couple of days, he's batting 289 in the past two weeks. Look, super small sample size here, but it's something to keep an eye on. If maybe he's getting this regular time behind the plate, maybe the bat follows. He's got two home runs. And like you said, on Tuesday, he simply flat out won the game for the Yankees. With the home run here, the three hits, including the home run, the, the game tying our RBI in the eighth inning and then wins it in the 11th here. You know, he, that's three huge at-bats and two back-to-back at-bats 
that that flat out won a game for the Yankees. His OPS is getting up there as well. For Yankee fans going back, we've always had a big name at catcher that produced offensively. Jorge Posada to Russell Martin to Brian McCann to Gary Sanchez. So this has been a big, big adjustment to see a Trevino... Higashioka tandem behind the plate. But if Trovino can hit 240, 250, have an OPS around 700, and have a game like this once a month for the Yankees, I'll take it. Like I said, it's been a big adjustment being a Yankees fan and seeing them go this route because for so long we had major offense at the catching position. It's been a curveball. Yeah, and we got to talk about his defense as well because that's what he is known for, and that's why he's in the lineup. The offense, while, yes, it's awesome. He's he's batted a lot better the past two weeks, and the home runs are fun. Both have come versus the Orioles, so take that as what you want from it. He's there for the defense. If you go to Baseball Savant and you look up catch framing and and stuff like that, he leads the league in strike rate at 54.6%. Leads the league, and that's on only 485 pitches entering tonight. So that that's not starting catching amount of pitchers. Some, you know, Yadier Molina's got over 700 already. He's got two catch framing runs, which is also tied with a bunch of guys for for that category here. But like you said, we're used to the bat being the the solution at, at catching and. and pretty much avoiding these types of stats. But when you, when you have a defensive catcher, it's time to dig into these stats a little bit deeper here. So to see him top of the league in both these categories is awesome to see. And now we got a bullpen issue kind of coming up here. It's going to be just as important to steal every strike and shorten every game as much as possible here. So Trevino in the lineup minimum four times a week moving forward. He's going to be the guy. I'm excited to see that. The defense has been such a refreshing change from Gary Sanchez in the past. And we were not Gary bashers by any means. We took the trade off. But it is very nice. It calls a great, great game. My favorite part is how he frames these pitches and does it better than smooth. Any- it's just ball. smooth how he catches the ball. He catches it and it's that slight turn. It's not even moving the glove. It's nothing like that. I love how he lets the ball come to him. He frames the pitch. He steals a lot of strikes for this pitching staff, which I really, really like. It's good. it's fun to see because I not at all comparing him to Gary Sanchez at all. But but Gary Sanchez had his moments uh, uh, with the defense behind the plate that that go unnoticed. But you only realize that when you look into the stats, like, oh, actually, Gary Sanchez catch framing is not that bad type things. But when you watch Trevino behind the plate, you're like, oh, that guy is making a difference behind the plate. So it's it's visible to the naked eye and the stats back it up, which is which is great to see. Rounding up the three up list for this week, Sam, we need to talk about the five hundred million dollar man, the billion dollar man. Who knows how high this goes? But Aaron Judge continues to impress and be the monster of a human being he is. He could be on this list every week here. We try to change it up a little bit here, but you have to talk about Aaron Judge when he's doing what he's doing. 17 home runs, 34 RBIs on the year, batting 314. Still has an OPS of over 1,000. It is, the the payoff is, is working every single day, and Aaron Judge is the most lethal hitter in Major League Baseball Uh, And obviously in in pinstripes. Steve, Brendan Cuddy of NJ.com brought up an interesting point the other day saying that the Yankees and Judge are going to go to an arbitration hearing on June 23rd, I believe. And he brought up the point that a long-term contract should be talked about at that date. 
Do you see that happening at all? I'm out on it for now. I don't think it's going to happen. Typically that happens in February, but because of the, the lockout, it, it wasn't able to have. And it makes it for an interesting scenario here where the 2022 stats mean absolutely nothing in this meeting, which is just weird to be there sitting down. And, and it's the Yankees' position to show Aaron Judge, hey, we this is what we think you're worth based on comparable players of the past few years. And knowing what he's... And Judge's team is going to be like, well, we think we're going to be a lot better in 2022. And they have the stats to prove it. But the judge in this case... Well, the, the not Aaron Judge. Like the real judge in this case has to ignore the 2022 stats when coming up with his salary. I believe the Yankees have offered $17 million and judges wants 21 Usually a meet in the middle around 19 works. But I do think... And Cashman backed up uh, Cuddy's tweet there saying the same thing of like that they are open to talking to Aaron Judge if he wants to. Judge has kind of been the one that's said until next offseason, let's keep it as is. Cashman said they're not going to bring it to the public. He brought their offer to the public last time. And he said now that any offers that come up will be between him and Judge. So it will be interesting to see. Is it in Cashman's best interest to offer a contract right now when Judge is scorched earth? Or does he wait for him to get a little cold and and bring that number down? It's a very interesting scenario for both sides here. Because at the same time, if that offer comes in at $300 million, does Judge take it knowing that he could get hurt? And that number could go down to 250. It, it's it's going to be an interesting balance. But judges bet on himself, his, his whole baseball career, and I think this is going to be dragged out all season. And the SC Yankees come to him with a like 10 year 350 deal because I don't see him taking less than 35 mil a year right now. We saw what a 10 year contract looks like with someone at age 30 when Robinson Cano went from the New York Yankees to the Seattle Mariners in December of 2013. If I'm the Yankees and their final offer to Cano was 175 over seven, which was a bit of a higher AAV than what Seattle offered, but they offered that 10 years. Those last three years at the end... There's still two more. <laughs> like They still got next year. The, the Mets are just paying for him not to be there. They yeah, bought him and, out and they're paying for it still. And it likely would have been ugly last year, but thank God for the Mets, he was suspended. <laughs> but if I'm the Yankees, I just make the AAV a lot of money on a seven-year deal. The Yankees have unlimited money. We have said this so many times. They are a global brand. There are Yankee shirts all over the place. If you're going down to Tiki Bar, Jenks in Point Pleasant this weekend, you're going to see everybody and their brother wearing a Yankees shirt, tank top, whatever. The Yankees get a slice of every one of those shirts sold, and you see them all around the Jersey Shore and in New York City. You see it all around the country, Sam. Yes. This is is, is a a global brand. My, My question here is, what about if you're going to – look, if, if, if Cashman said they're open to opening offers, and look, we, we honestly didn't really think we were going to talk much about this all year, but it, it, it does pop up in the news here, and, and he's hitting at an MVP caliber play and playing center field. Sim, what if you give him like 45 mil a year for like three or four years with like, or like a longer-term deal, but you give him like that opt-out of, hey, you could be a free agent again in like three or four years at, at 33 where you still could be in your prime. I wonder if that's maybe a scenario that the Yankees go and try and lock him up just for the next few years, even if it is at, at stupid money, and just give him the chance of an opt-out. I, I wonder if, you know, we've seen certain players kind of go away, like Bryce Harper in particular, that, you know, wants to retire and not worry about opt-out deals. I wonder if Judge has bet on himself a lot in his career. I wonder if he's like, hey, what if you give me 40, 45 mil a year for three years and then I can opt out again? 
Uh, like, could that be something on the table? Like, like similar to like what Correa did with with the Twins. I think all options are on the table. But more importantly for the Yankees, it's about 2022, and the guy leads the league in home runs by a mile. And it's it's only Memorial Day here, but he's on pace for 65 home runs. If you let him, if he had 65 home runs, he might make 65 million a year. The way this guy gets the bat through the zone and just sends him out to left field is such a beautiful sight. I was thinking before you mentioned the opt-out deal, maybe three or four years of stupid money, I thought about an eight-year deal worth about $350 million. Eight years, $352 million is $44 million a year. I mean, that's where he's on pace for right now. And if the Yankees don't offer it, could Stevie Cohen offer that across the pond? Could the Giants offer that and he go back home? Like those are going to be that the was type a hot of rumor number- this week. A, yeah. a San Francisco uh, NBC Sports account tweeted about that. So it's, it's something to keep an eye on. If it pops up to me, I'm going to let it be a surprise. I'm going to focus on Judge playing right now and just absolutely smoking the ball. And like you said, it's 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 the effortless home runs that this monster human being hits. His first home run the other day when he hit two, it looked like he was just taking batting practice and forgot that it was the first inning and it was like, oh, I hit a home run. And then he hit some bombs. He hit that, and then he hit the the game tying home run the other day. An absolute smoke job that he pulled the ball. Remember when Aaron Judge was it like two years ago? He didn't have any pull home runs for like the first three four months of the year, and everyone was so concerned that he's not pulling the ball. He's only going the other way. He's not hurt, or he, is he hurt or something like that? We're seeing some bombs at a Judge on the pull side now too. So that that I just remembered that that weird month there was where people were worried that Aaron Judge couldn't pull a ball. It just looks like he's up at the plate and he takes that left hand and he just drags it through the zone like a like a golf swing, like how that front arm controls the club on the golf swing. He's just like dropping his hands to the ball, letting that left hand go, and boom, it's 15, 20 rows up in the bleachers. And it's crazy. I mean, I understand that Mike Trout is healthy and playing well and Shohei Otani is an absolute monster, but you can still get Aaron Judge to win the AL MVP, and he is not the favorite, which I think is, is pretty crazy. I know the, the odds fluctuate all the time, but Trout's playing fantastic. Uh, Otani, given his two-way player there, is is always going to be a, be a favorite when healthy. But Aaron Judge still, after this monster start to the year, has some value for AL MVP if you like to dabble in that sort of thing. And we're going to see the Angels come to town this week, too. So there's going to be a lot of AL MVP talk the next 10 days between the Yankees and Judge. And the Angels are having a good season, which is finally, and I don't cheer for teams outside of the Yankees, and I go to Phillies games. One of my friend's dads works for the team. I don't cheer for the Angels, but it's good to see the Angels having a good year because like Mike Trout is rotting away out there, or he, he was rotting away out there. He's played in three career playoff games, which is crazy to think about. They have Shohei Otani, who is a like global icon across the world right now. And, and they spend money. They're not like in a on a cheap owner that's unwilling to spend money. Obviously, Trout's got that massive contract. This is a team that's willing to spend money, and it hasn't come together yet. Um, like you said, I think for baseball. You need Mike Trout in the playoffs. If I'm thinking strictly strictly from a Yankees perspective, I don't want to see Mike Trout anywhere near the playoffs ever <laughs> because yeah. he's the best player that we will probably ever watch play baseball in our entire lives. So, no, I don't want to see him in the playoffs. But for baseball, I, I will allow him to make the playoffs. And with the extra playoff team here, it, it is playoffs 
or bust for the Angels. And they come playing them this week. So it'll be interesting to see as they are going to be 27-17 and 17 by the end of play uh, on Tuesday. So we just talked about Judge. Let, let's talk a little bit about the other behemoth of a human that usually is in the lineup with him and has been playing well this season. Unfortunately, John Carlos Stanton left Tuesday's game with a right strained calf. He missed a lot of time with that right calf injury a few years ago. So is it time to get a little worried about the injury bug here, Sam, for, for Stanton? Yeah, and I'm taking a lap here. Once again, it seems like every episode that John Carlos Stanton isn't hurt, I mention that he's not hurt, and then he gets hurt. So I got to stop doing that. I am never going to mention a player not getting injured ever again. We are going to put that to rest because it has happened far too many times. But in all seriousness, you have to imagine this is a DL thing. Stanton's dealt with a calf several times before. With the he's been playing the field a lot. So, I mean, he's been playing the field, but it's been good that he's playing the field. I feel like he's been playing better because of that. But, yeah, you got to be extra careful here. And it just is a – it's an injury week for the Yankees. We used to have injury episodes in 2018 and 2019, Sam. This, oh, is, yeah. this is the first injury week here. And Stanton leaving the lineup hurts. Because he's been great in that four hole all year round. And we've seen some interesting configurations. We saw Rizzo leading off a couple days ago. Aaron Hicks was back in the leadoff spot here. And that, well, he was back in the leadoff spot because DJ LeMahieu misses his second straight game with wrist discomfort. And you wanted me to be concerned about staying. I'm super concerned about DJ LeMahieu. The MRI came back clean. But Sam, if you remember, Aaron Hicks had wrist in, a wrist injury last year that was fine until all of a sudden he was out for the year. So wrist is super important for someone like DJ LeMahieu. Big concerns for the Yankee lineup with Stan and LeMahieu. I think we're all going to be holding our breath here for the next 48 hours. That's one thing I don't want to mess with. If, if LeMahieu needs to take a month or maybe even two, have him do that. I don't want this to come up again. And maybe it's something he has to play with all season. But whether he's in the lineup on Wednesday or not is going to be something to watch because... The Yankees start a four-game series in Tampa on Thursday night. Once you miss that third straight game, it's DL time almost. Basically, you're forced with a decision. And the Yankees could have a couple of options if they want to replace LeMahieu on the rosters. Well, first off, they need Josh Donaldson to come off the COVID list here because now we got Marvin Gonzalez playing every game here, which really hurts the lineup. Bottom of the lineup looks way different. But we start talking about these, you know, Stanton, LeMahieu, even Gallo, even though he sucks so far this year, we're, we're looking thin. We haven't played the Rays yet this year, and it looks like we're going to be playing them with, with a significantly short roster as of right now. Hopefully, we get some good news on all four of those players in the next day or so. I'm preparing for the worst. I think Stanton is definitely going to the IL, and I think LeMahieu maybe is too. Whether LeMahieu is in the lineup or not on Wednesday is going to be key. I think you're going to see a roster move regarding him. He's either going to be in the lineup or he's going to be on the IL, I think. Those are the two options. Yeah, he's not He's <laughs> not going to miss a third game and not be on the IL. But uh, it's interesting because they did down get... 95. Joe Girardi has liked to do that this year with the Phillies of keeping Didi Gregorius out for like five or six games last month and then placing him on the IL. So... Yeah, Wednesday's a big day for LeMayhew. And like you said, Donaldson needs to come off the COVID IL 
because and Gallo not- too now even though he's been struggling we need Gallo off that list too or else we're getting Gonzalez Floreal and Hicks you know two of the three of them in the lineup every game Hicks is one of the worst and that there's there's our quick transition into the three down of Aaron Hicks sucks and it sucks because I thought he might have a decent year this year but boy, he's no matter what we do. He's, I mean, look, it's crazy to think that a guy that gets on base 34% of the time can make every important out possible in every game. And he was doing that early on in the season, but he was hitting, which is what people forget. He was hitting in the first couple of weeks of the season. Now this guy looks like he can't hit water if he fell out of the Atlantic Ocean in the middle of the United States and Europe. That's how bad it is getting. I texted you before we came on. That three-pitch at-bat to win the fucking game was one of the worst at-bats I have ever seen. He looked so, so lost at the plate. And and I keep mentioning 2018 and how good he was in 2018. Well, that's like four seasons ago. And he he hasn't been healthy since. It's been a multitude of things with him. The Yankees gave him a seven-year, $70 million contract a couple of years ago. I believe that was before the 2020 COVID season. Uh, uh, before that, even 2019, yeah. I believe. 2019, yes, because yeah. him and Severino got deals at the same time. Yeah, it's not breaking the bank, but the, the Yankees are tied to this guy for several more years, and they paid him to be their center fielder of the future. And right now, he, he's looking like he, he's gonna get replaced sooner than later, and the Yankees are gonna have an expensive fourth outfielder for a couple of years. Yeah, I think so. And I think, look, we we've, we paid Brett Gardner a lot of money to be a fourth outfielder, and then he obviously got pushed into a lot of duty here. I don't think Brett Gardner's phone is going to be ringing no matter what this season. But it's Aaron Hicks needs to be simply be better. And if the, the Yankees are going to ride him, I don't see them making him a fourth outfielder this year. He's, especially if the, the injuries we just listed out here, he's going to be in the lineup basically every day. And like you said, it, it got off to a decently promising start on May 3rd, which again, it's, it, it was only a, April, you know, it's not a full month here, but May 3rd, he was batting 283 with a 405 on base percentage. That is prime for what we need from Aaron Hicks. Like that is even better than we need for Aaron Hicks. Like we'll take 240 out, out of him. So to be to be hitting now, and look, it looks even deceiving now because they just updated the stats for Tuesday's game here. He's batting 260. 16 on the year and that includes the two hits he had but it's been an under 200 for a significant time for Aaron Hicks in the past few years and obviously the wrist injury here he was confident coming into the year that hey I'm healthy I'm gonna be a 30-30 guy well you're a fucking idiot if you think that's happening because he's got no power now it looks like and because he did have power he did have 30 home run power but that power looks long gone and it affecting him also defensively his arm looks shot he used to have a cannon out there. And like you said, this long contract, this guy's not a center fielder much longer. This He's going to be strictly a pure left fielder, which is going to affect the Yankees' plans for the next few years. We're seeing Judge out there in center field a lot, and it's because even when Hicks is in the lineup, I thought there will be times where we'll see an outfield of Stanton in left, Hicks in center, and Judge in right field. But when those three are in the outfield together, it's been Stanton in right field, Judge in center field, and Hicks in left field. So it's pretty noticeable to the organization as well that he's likely not a center fielder much longer. And that's a problem. It's going to affect the Yankees' organizational standpoint going forward. And Judge, they probably don't want to have out in center field five or six times a week. They don't want that to happen. They won't let that happen at all, no. So it's going to be if Aaron Hicks can't, play center field, 
the Yankees are going to have to address that position. The Martian, Jason Dominguez. Years. Is a few years away. Florial's Bennett was at once a nice top prospect for the Yankees here, but he, he looks lost at the plate, and that's kind of always been his thing. Is you know he doesn't really have the plate discipline to be a major league baseball player. But if Aaron Hicks doesn't have the plate discipline to be a major league baseball player, Florial has got a much better glove and can play center fielder at a better clip than Aaron Hicks at this point in his career. So if there are more IL stints, like we said for like Stanton, like if you're if that's your guess. They're going to bring, you know, I think Florial sticks around and we see maybe some more playing time from him. But, you know, we had, he hasn't really shown anything uh, in the few very limited times that, that he's played. It's been, you know, two doubleheader games. Then he got forced into some action here and there. But the Yankees, uh, for a team that has so much depth that was built on having an extra outfielder at all times, an extra infielder at all times, our first scare, the first test uh, happens here at the end of May, right before Memorial Day weekend where they could have some injuries on the infield and the outfield, and that depth, you know, will really be tested. As we always say, things to keep an eye on for the Yankees the next week or so. Four at the Tampa Bay Rays, which after, obviously, the finale against the Orioles, the Rays are right behind them in the division standings, and they were off to, like, a 500 start in the first 20 games, but in the past couple of weeks, they have looked like the elite Rays that we have seen the past handful of years. So we talk about the trap all the time and how much we hate playing there. The Yankees are going there for four games yeah. after this Orioles game. So what's on, what's on the horizon is a tough schedule, a lot. The schedule's getting harder. They and the Yankees real- took advantage of that soft schedule. Like we said, the only team right now, as of this recording, that has 30 wins so they took advantage of that soft schedule, and they were healthy during that soft schedule. Schedule's about to start getting a little harder, and the health is starting to go down. So huge, huge issues here. Wednesday, you know, J.P. Sears will be on the mound versus the Orioles, but I think it's a good move by the Yankees to make sure they set up their big four versus Tampa here. You know, Starting on Thursday, it's Cortez, Severino, Tyone, and Cole. You gotta, Those are the big four. And you're going to have uh, some some really nice matchups there, including versus old friend Corey Kluber on Saturday. Speaking about the Trop here, did you see that they said that on Saturday, the Trop is officially sold out? But they didn't specify what that means. Because sometimes the Trop, when they're sold out, that means they just no, don't sell tickets for the upper decks. And I was there on opening day. I was at Ray's yes, yeah. on opening day. And upper deck tickets were not sold. It was closed. But it was a sellout. Yes, yeah. it's, it's very deceiving tweet there of like we're sold out versus the Yankees. Well, yeah, because you just stopped selling tickets. It doesn't mean you're sold. A sellout means every ticket of the stadium was sold. It's impossible to have a sellout when you close ten thousand seats uh, that you can't buy. <laughs> I wonder if they will open the upper deck for this series. Yeah, that was that's that's what the the, the talk uh, on the internet is is. Does this sellout include the upper deck here? And there would I didn't see a response from anybody to confirm I that. I think it maybe would. I mean, the Yankees in Tampa, which is a, a hotbed um, for New Yorkers on a holiday weekend. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Well, one way to find out. You know, Saturday's a four ten start, and then Sunday a one forty start. But but good matchups here. You know, especially looking forward to uh, that Sunday matchup of Garrett Cole versus Shane McClanahan who is uh, kind of their, their top stud for their pitching. Like you said, they, they just pump out guys all the time here. But but Shane McClanahan is going to be the, their next top guy that probably gets traded in three or four years. He's, he's really, really good. I have fallen victim to 
uh, betting against him a couple of times, <laughs> and it has not gone well for me. Look at the standings for the AL East. As you said, the Yankees still up four and a half games uh, on the Rays here. The Red Sox are about to win again. The Red Sox have turned it around. They've won six straight here, but still uh, put them two games under 500. So the, these wins that the Yankees had and this lead the Yankees have built will be important because, as we're seeing, you will lose games this lead will get smaller. There will be a huge important games here. And uh, even though we played the Blue Jays and Orioles, you know, 900 times already, we haven't played the Rays yet. First, first test here down in Tampa. They are selling tickets in the upper deck for Friday, Sunday, and Thursday. I don't see tickets in the upper deck available <laughs> Saturday. So, okay. We'll have to find out that it could be a real sellout here, which is great for baseball. Like these, these are two good teams and there should be as many people as possible watching watching those games so sam give me the give me a breakdown here so we got the game wednesday i'm gonna say we have to win versus the orioles on wednesday night even with jp sears on the mound for the yankees that'll put us at 31 and 13 heading into this memorial day weekend versus the rays four games in the trap where we struggle are we getting at least a 500 or are we going to be is this going to be one of those one and three uh oh the yankees look bad versus a good team situation this is the first time I'm going to be pessimistic. The Yankees have injuries. They're playing a good team in a place where they have notoriously struggled. I'm going to go the Yankees losing three or four at the Tampa Bay Rays. Oh, Sammy, don't do that to me. This is the first time this season uh, the Yankees are in a bad spot here. I, I love the Yankees. 705 every night is an appointment for me this time of year. They're in a bad spot here. I can't. I can't hide behind it. I'm sorry. Okay, we're gonna. T- I think we get in the split. We haven't lost the game Severino has started yet, so I'm getting a win there. Uh, then I'm also gonna think that Nasty Nestor gets a win. So I, th- I think we're gonna start off with two straight wins versus Tampa, which I then the rest of that week, and then we have Cole pitching at one point there, which is gravy. Cole had a very very interesting start versus Baltimore and, and uh, took took his first loss of the year, struck out 11, but gave up five runs. So. Interesting start there for Cole. I thought he looked pretty sharp, but then obviously the earned runs don't replicate that. He did eat eight innings, and yeah. the bullpen was taxed. Huge, so. yeah, huge, huge, huge point there, but Cole's paid to get wins, and that was a very winnable game here. It's a little disappointing also that it's not Sunday Night Baseball game for, for ESPN. Cole versus McClanahan should be Sunday Night Baseball. I'm not sure what game they have there, but that will be interesting. And then they followed up with the Angels coming to the Bronx here, and they will get Otani. We'll likely try to record before that, but always, always will be interesting to uh, when you when you have Shohei uh, on the mound. Big week for the Yankees. Tough stretch. Easy schedule is over, and it's the hard schedules coming. And we're gonna need some some help around the entire lineup to to get runs. The Yankees cannot disappear without DJ, without possibly without Stanton. They they cannot go games where they go 15 innings, cross two games, and score one run. We need some constant. They're they're getting a little too home run happy. So it's time to get back to how we were a little at the beginning of the year. We'll take the home run, but a couple hits here and there will be uh, will be needed as well. And maybe it's guys like Jose Trevino who really stepped through and, and won the game for the Yankees on Tuesday. Let's get healthy. Let's get a good team in Tampa this weekend. Let, you know, I hope we can avoid some DL stints, but not looking so great now. But let's hope we can put a good lineup out there in Tampa, getting you know Donaldson and, and Gallo off the COVID IL because, like you said, the bottom of these lineups are not looking pretty right now. There we go. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of Podcasting in Pinstripes with myself and Sam. You can find me on Twitter at AngelSteve89, and you can find Sam at RealSamMars. 
always a pleasure chatting with you, Sam. Have a great Memorial Day weekend, and we will we'll get some beers down the shore at some point this year, I'm sure. Absolutely, Steve. I can't wait for that. Go Yanks. All right. See you guys later. <laughs>